0: Hi everyone, I'm Alan Doderlein, President of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Thank you for listening to DBSA's Target Zero to Thrive podcast, part of our month long social media campaign challenging mental health care professionals, providers, researchers, and individuals living with mood disorders to raise treatment goals to zero symptoms. Because every person deserves the opportunity not just to survive, but to thrive. And to do that, we need to ensure true wellness is the end goal for mental health treatment. To consider this challenge from a clinical and research point of view, joining us for today's podcast are Greg Simon, psychiatrist and researcher at Group Health Cooperative in Seattle, Washington, and Joe Calabrese, director of the Mood Disorders Program and Bipolar Disorders Research Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Both doctors are longtime collaborators with and friends of DBSA, serving on our scientific advisory board. Here are Greg and Joe.
1: I welcome the opportunity to talk about this. Joe and I have had some preliminary discussions about this topic, and both of us, in terms of our uh, perspective as researchers, but also as clinicians who try to uh, help people overcome bipolar disorder, Uh, This issue about full wellness and targeting real recovery is a really important one. Um, And I wanted to ask Joe to start off by talking to us about the the general idea, about what our goals should be when we're talking about treatment of bipolar disorder or research to improve treatment of bipolar disorder. What is it, Joe, you think we really should be aiming for?
2: Uh, You know, Greg, from my perspective, it it seems to me we we really have very – Modest expectations for ourselves and and for our patients and and what uh I don't get is why don't we expect more i mean if 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 I had a mood disorder, I would want it to go away completely I, you know I wouldn't want to get fifty percent better and i and i and I wouldn't want it to come back. So I mean, it seems to me that we as a profession settle for less, and when 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 that happens, I think what happens is patients lower their expectations, you know, and they they tolerate leftover symptoms that lead to a relapse. So you know, I think we got to change this, but it's it's going to be a problem doing so because you know we've practiced this way for many many decades.
1: Yeah, when 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 you say that, it makes me think that maybe we have uh, confused, uh, the way I'd put it is we've confused what we have with what we want. Um, And what I mean by what we have is a lot of the current treatments that we have for depression or for bipolar disorder are are moderately helpful. Um, You know, when we look across large numbers of people, the average effectiveness of these treatments is, is mediocre really. Um, There are some people who appear to get great benefit, some people who appear to get minimal to no benefit, but the average is is, is sort of mediocre. Um, That's that's what we have. Um, But we shouldn't say that that's what we want, you know, the idea that we want to settle for that, and I think... You know, when you look at the research that many of us have been involved in and the sort of measures of what, you know, I would hesitate to use the word success, but the measures we use of success, things, as you said, like 50% reduction in symptoms or sometimes even 25% reduction in symptoms, maybe from a, a sort of scientific or statistical perspective, those are good measures to use because they allow us to detect, say, you know, treatment B is maybe a little bit better than treatment A. And that matters, you know if we're always searching for better treatments it you know it is useful to know that treatment b is a little bit better than treatment a, but the truth is when we look at the well, treatments we've got now, we'd like more than a little bit better,
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's I don't think it's just you know the medications are um, have moderate efficacy i mean, say for example, you know we don't as a rule spend much time telling patients to look for. Early signs of relapse and and to not tolerate small relapses because it, it might bring the whole illness back we you know we we're usually i think as a discipline so preoccupied with you know uh, making the bulk of the illness go away that we don't target leftover symptoms and and think about this you know if if we had cancer, we wouldn't target any leftover. I mean, if you had a little bit of metastasis, you would never tolerate it.
1: Yeah, and, and I, so I think, think you know, we should do the same. Yeah, and and I think the 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 cancer analogy it is reasonable because I think we know uh, we have we have good evidence that those what you call leftover symptoms or residual symptoms those are risk factors that pretty consistently the people who have you know significant symptoms left over after treatment for depression or bipolar disorder are the people who are at a higher risk for having more severe episodes later and, and a, a poorer sort of long-term outcome. So, um, the achieving, you know, whatever term you want to use, real remission, recovery, targeting zero symptoms. That we believe that really will make a difference in the long run. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, here's the other thing that you know it's, it's worth discussing. We we almost never target. Positive symptoms of of recovery, you know we don't we don't uh, ask patients about whether or not they're feeling calm or uh, rested or cheerful. We we usually focus our time on asking symptoms about the particular illness and whether or not they're syndromal or subsyndromal. But uh, you know. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, it's, it's possible to feel, to have well-being and still have symptoms of depression. You know, if somebody, for example, is having trouble with sleep, they, they still might have the experience of, of well-being, wellness and well-being. So I guess my point here is that, uh, you know, we should not just target a decrease in remission of symptoms, but, you know, we should try and replace those symptoms with, features of well-being
1: yeah um and that's that's where i think individualization uh gets to be really important and when we talk about the uh you know more severe problems that we've tended to focus on you know i think we would say certainly most people you know would not want to have such severe symptoms that they would need to be hospitalized or that their function would be severely impaired. And there we could say, we could pretty much use the same measures or the same goals across lots of different people. But when you start to talk about wellness, um, then I think it does become individualized, trying to understand what each person wants to uh, to accomplish, what what kind of life they would like to have, what they'd want to do, And, and different people have different preferences. Um, different preferences in terms of, um, you know, what kind of treatments, you know, have which effects on them, um, which is not just a biological difference in terms of this treatment has this biological effect on this person, but but it also is, is a personal difference in terms of what's important to me in my life, um, what I want more or what I want less. And, and that's, I think, an area where clearly patients and consumers are the experts. The doctors aren't the experts. Um, you know, the, the doctors may have some technical expertise about the treatments, but when it comes to what kind of life do I want, only the patient or consumer is the expert there. Um, uh, so that 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 also sort of reorients our goals around wellness and and really having a full life, true recovery.
2: Yeah. So, so what, uh, Greg? What would you say is the route to to wellness and well being? I'd be interested in your your thought about that.
1: Well, I picking up on what you said. I mean, I think the the motivations really need to be uh, need to be positive motivations. You know, to go back and use your analogy about treatment for cancer. Um, you know, I think what people care about there is not so much. You know. The, the, the real goal people have is not to say I want to eliminate cancer cells. The real goal people have is I want to have a long and full life and not let this 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 disease or this disorder interfere with that. So the 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 motivation is is the kind of life that people want to have. Um, the the measures that we use in between, whether we're measuring symptoms of depression or symptoms of mania or size of cancer or number of cancer cells, those those are the in between steps. Those are the ends. And not those sorry, those are the mean and not the end. The end is really having a full life. Um, and I think if if we start with that, you know, if even if our initial discussions we 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 talk about how are these symptoms or or how are these problems interfering with you having the kind of life you want to have? Where is it you want to go? Um how would we know when we're getting closer to that than we are now? And then when we talk about various treatments and we say, is this treatment that we're trying? Is this getting us there or not? Is this moving us closer to that goal or not? Um, uh, but I, focusing I, on that, focusing on that, where do we want to go rather than the the just focusing on the what's getting in the way?
2: I uh, I hear what you're saying, but I, I I think that there's a more basic problem in that patients don't expect us to make them well, and you know I I think there's a need for us to raise to help them raise their expectations about their recovery. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, when that, when I'm in that situation, what that leads me to is, is uh, targeting leftover symptoms. Yeah. You know.
1: With, and interesting when you say that. I mean, because. A lot of people who live with mood disorders, you know, often have experienced these kinds of problems for years and years and years before they might ever see a doctor or a professional. Um, So I I think this does sort of redefine people's sense of whatever you want to call it, normal or or, or what life is like. Um, And I'm I'm sure you've had the experience often of, um, you know, people who've had some treatment, taken some medication or some treatment for depression or bipolar disorder, and at, or they're at, at that place we're talking about, the sort of, you know, better out of a crisis but not well. And, mm-hmm. and the discussion that, that I find myself often having with people at that place is, well, well, you know, what should I expect? Um, should I really expect things to get better than this? And um, often, you know, I, I find where that discussion goes is, you know, the the uh, the sort of, the difference between what's what, you know what's reasonable to expect because expect i don't know expect is more a prediction or a, you know what are the odds versus you know what 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 what's reasonable to hope for or you, you know it, it, i don't think it's too strong a term to say well what's what what do people really deserve um
2: i i think uh people deserve more and they don't know that they should have higher expectations.
1: Yeah. So I, I something think something
2: else the... I've also struggled with over the years is our, our definitions of, uh, of of response, of doing well. You know, in 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 medicine, the, the standard number needed to treat to benefit from a particular treatment, what what medicine defines as a good response, the number needed to treat is is three. So that means that we as a profession only expect one out of three of our patients to get better. I think that is just astonishing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's an example of, of, of sort of lowering our expectations to match the tools that we have. You know, if the tools we currently have are not that good, um, that you know, we, we don't want to somehow say, well, that's success.
2: It's sobering. The other thing is the response, the definition for response. Most most patients would, you know, if they had a, a a malignancy or any illness, they they wouldn't describe getting fifty percent better over eight weeks as being a marked response. I know I wouldn't. Yeah. So that um, we once did an analysis that looked at higher definitions of response. So instead of fifty percent decrease, I looked at sixty, seventy, eighty, and ninety percent decreases. And what happened is that as we as we enriched the definition of response and went up to eighty percent, the proportion of people responding decreased fifteen to twenty you know? percent. So, and by that by that
1: you mean if if we if we take a, a more sort of uh, you know ambitious definition of success, our success rates right now are pretty low.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, we intentionally use, a, 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 if you will, a, a definition of response that makes us feel good or, mm-hmm. or look good.
1: Yeah.
2: But, but uh, what we really should be doing is looking for our 80 or 90 percent responses over eight weeks.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But that number goes way, way down.
1: Yeah. And uh, it reminds me, you know, when we were talking a few minutes ago about these different words, you know, when when you have these discussions, well, what can we expect, or what can we hope for, or, or put in its plainest sense, what do I deserve? You know, what we're saying is, you know, well, well what people deserve is a lot better than what we have, and and what we can hope for is is is, is wellness. That that's our hope. That's what we're aiming for. Um, we. We In terms of what we can expect, well, our current tools are not that good, and you know it takes a lot of trial and error to find the right tools for the right person so um you know it's 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 a it's often a long and complicated road, but to not confuse you know what 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 our current success is from you know that's one thing and what we would really hope for or think people actually deserve, that's a very different thing yeah
2: so i I guess um It makes me wonder then, you know, we should probably quantify well-being when we meet with patients every visit. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I started doing that about six months ago with this scale that's called the the WHO5. It's Mm -hmm. it's the well-being index. It's a uh, five-item scale that quantifies the the extent to which somebody – uh, spends their time being cheerful and calm, active, vigorous, fresh and rested, and interested in things. So that you know, it that kind of forces us to, you know, turn the paradigm around and target wellness and well-being. Well, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, I'm a big believer in I'm a big believer in measuring things. Because, you know, my experience uh, is, you know, both in the research world, but also as, you know, as, as a clinician or as a, a doctor is, it's a lot easier to persist in trying to accomplish your goals if you're measuring whether you're making progress. Um, and I'm certainly a big believer in, in various kinds of mood tracking tools or self-monitoring tools. There are a lot of good ones. Um, because if, you know, when I'm seeing patients, it's you know, it's it's sort of easy to know have there been any really, really bad symptoms over the last few months. But if we want to know how are we really doing, are we are we are we uh are we really accomplishing really reducing symptoms. It takes keeping track of things and measuring things. I have not though. Um you know I've I've tended to focus more on the measurement of the I don't know what you want to call it, the negatives, the the, the negative experiences and and the idea of focusing on goals and positive things, um that uh, you know that that would turn things around. That that would sort of reorient toward uh, accomplishing real wellness and recovery.
2: Um, yeah, you know I agree. And the other thing is that um, patients like to complete these these uh, rating scales. Mm-hmm. You know because the rating scales talk about positive, cheerful things. These well-being scales. You know whereas typically the rating scales that we give patients to do quantify symptom severity. this I find there's a really good compliance. They always yes. like doing these scales because it's uplifting
1: yeah, and that that makes sense I mean certainly my experience as I say, I'm a big believer in measuring things, but you know sometimes my patients do ask me, you know why do you need to keep reminding me of why how how bad things are? I already know that um and that's not the purpose, you know. Uh, reminding us of how bad things are, but to be reminded of our real goals—that that would reorient things. That that would turn things around in a different direction. Um,
2: you know what? I, I just had an idea. Maybe what we should do is put together a submission for next year's APA, and in this in this symposium, talk about just what we're talking about today. I bet you we'd have a really good turnout.
1: Mhm, yeah. And and it would be interesting to get, you know, some of our DBSA constituents, patients or consumers to join us in that. Um to say what would you want to track? Um Yeah. Now, as as you probably know, you know the the DBSA uh wellness tracker, which is available at the DBSA website, is is starting to do some of these things. Um, you know, there have always been good tools there to, to track mood symptoms or to track mood states, but also increasingly tools to track goals and, 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 positive things. Um, and if, you know, some of the people listening to this podcast are interested in joining this effort, that would be a good place to start, I think.
2: Um, yeah, that's a great suggestion.
1: Yeah. So, and uh, this when, has been interesting. Yeah. When you think about what, um, you know, what, what, in, our, in the research that we do, um, because, you know, when, when, if we do research to study treatments for uh, mood disorders, whether those are medication treatments or psychotherapy treatments, we are more often measuring the success of those treatments using these, these measures of symptoms or measures of negative experience, and we're using these, these uh, um, metrics or these thresholds like um, 50% improvement. If we were to, to focus on positive things and set more ambitious goals, um what um in terms of the research we do, how do you do you think we'd be coming to different conclusions? Do you think that there would be you know, we would be deciding different things about which treatments are right if we were measuring our success in different ways? I don't
2: know. You know, it's hard to say. I I, I do think that it's possible to, to to experience well-being in the presence of illness symptoms. Mm-hmm. So that, um, you know, I think it's something that, uh, you know, I think it's a great suggestion, and, and we should begin studying both aspects of illness, the absence of wellness or well-being, as well as the presence of symptoms.
1: Yeah, and this, um and I I hear what you're saying, and I definitely agree, this idea that we're we're measuring two things that are related, um, what we would call sort of symptoms or residual symptoms or leftover symptoms, and the idea of goals and wellness and and positive experience. They're related, but they aren't the same. Um, And certainly it's possible that there could be some approaches to treatment, that would focus on increasing positive experiences more so than they'd focus on the decreasing negative experiences. Um so it's um having a it's a, a broader view. Um and when we also, you know, when the, the, the positive experiences and accomplishment of goals um also, of course, would would cause us to think more sometimes about side effects or, or negative effects of medication treatments and how those interfere with positive experiences or how those interfere with people accomplishing their goals uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of these treatments, of course, can have negative effects as well. And it would it, it bring us to, I think, a more integrated approach toward that.
2: Okay. So it looks like we've got to get the word out here talk more about
1: this. <laughs> okay. So our word for today is, uh, you know, DBSA wellness tracker it is a is a good tool if if anyone is interested in joining us in shifting this focus and uh you know sounds like we have a commitment in terms of the world of researchers we work in to start to talk to people more about this shift of focus all right well
2: sounds
0: great
1: okay thanks very much for taking the time to talk today joe
0: my pleasure all right On behalf of everyone at the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, I extend warm thanks to Greg Simon and Joe Calabrese for that engaging and important dialogue. And I thank all of you listening to this Target Zero to Thrive podcast for joining DBSA's call to action towards raising the bar for treatment of depression and bipolar disorder. I'm Alan Doderlein, and I thank you for listening. On behalf of everyone at the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance.